podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. We have a lot going on today. Uh, here in a bit, Ashley Hodge of Sikkim 365 is going to join us to take the Baylor side of the Kansas-Baylor game from Saturday. Whoo, that game was big, and it lived up to our expectations. Going to talk about that game, uh, what maybe what he would have done differently. Also, the takeaway from it that kind of points to what might hold Baylor from actually winning a national championship this year. Before we get to Ashley, before we get the Baylor side of things, I've got my usual Monday cohort, Andy Mitch, joining me today, as well as my oftentimes guest, Ryan Gilbert, from the Evil Doppelganger podcast, 10 <laughs> out of 12, joining us today to talk Kansas and we're going to talk a little Kansas State. We've got a big game coming up this Saturday, and uh, we're going to do some Bruce Weber slander, which I'm sure most of the city of Manhattan will like. Guys, uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Glad, glad to be back. I don't know how to feel, though, about turning the intro into a party. Uh, it's my party, <laughs> except, and I'll except, have as hey, many people as I want to. Well, I would say, except, hey, let's, let's go ahead and party. Let's do it. All right. You know, because then I got to do an intro, and then we had to do another interview, and then do another. I'm just like, you know, the more let's just let's just cram this all together and save people time from having to listen to my intro music like eight times during the show because it's not that good. Like it's not bad, but it's not. Like, I like it. Well, it's, I like it, but I don't. don't I'm not like <laughs> listening to it on the way to work and stuff. Okay, enough about <laughs> the guy who wrote my intro. Um, let's start with Kansas Baylor. This is obviously the game that lived up to expectations. Saturday was huge. Kansas wins a close one thanks to a missed three at the buzzer. They pull away for a three-point win in Waco. Um, I, I think the best opinion that I've seen about the game this far is that uh, Kansas didn't play their best game when they lost to Baylor, and Baylor didn't play their best game when they lost to Kansas, and neither of those two statements are supposed to take away anything from what the teams who won did. Andy, I want to start with you. I want your takeaway from the game, from a Kansas perspective. 
Yeah, I mean, the biggest takeaway from this game is that when when Kansas is doing what Kansas can do, um, you know, they are the best team in the nation. And and there's a reason that they're the number one ranked team in Ken Palm by, you know, over four points in terms of an adjusted efficiency margin, which is a huge gap. Um, you know, you look up Azubuke when he's on, he is the best big man in the nation. Devon Dotson is an elite point guard. Marcus Garrett is an elite defender out on the perimeter. And they have a lot of very good pieces that when it all comes together and they're all playing together and Bill Self is, you know, scheming things up the way that he is, is able to do, you know, they are going to be very difficult for anyone to beat come tournament time. No, I agree. Look, Azubuki is ridiculous. And when he's playing at his best, he is the best big in college basketball. I just, some of it, I think, and we talked about this on, on your show and we'll let you tease it here in a bit. Some of it is the way that Kansas has utilized him this season. And some of it to me is just, he's been a little bit inconsistent, but when he is good and not even like how good he was against Baylor good, like when he's playing really, really well, he's the best big man in college basketball. And I think that's a a big part of why Kansas is a legit final four team this year, like a legit final four contender. Was there anything from this game you take away from that and say, I'm still not a hundred percent like going to say Kansas is going to win the national championship. Uh, take away the insanity of the tournament. That's that's not what I mean. But if you're filling out a bracket and you're going to put Kansas there because you're a Kansas guy, is there still a thing that concerns you and makes you say, if we run into a team that does this, I'm worried. I mean, it it has to be a team that shoots really well from three because Baylor is not a team that shot phenomenally from three this year. Um, Kansas, you know, struggled with when they played like BYU out in Maui, um, you know, that game was a lot closer than it needed to be Dayton the same way. Those were two teams that were shooting very, very well from three and Kansas had problems with teams that do that. Um, you know, they tend to still kind of give up open threes a lot more often than they should. And, you know, if, if a team is going to start hitting those, it's going to be a problem because Kansas doesn't necessarily have the shooters to keep up with a team like that. They're going to probably get very reliable two point shots, but you know, all it takes, especially during the tournament, is for someone to get super hot from three. We saw it against Villanova in the Final Four. Like, if a team is just lighting it up from beyond the three-point arc, there's not a whole lot you can do, even if you have the most efficient two-point shooting in the in in the country. Ryan, I'll let you get on this. Just what's your takeaway from Kansas at this point? I mean, I, let me just say, I think they're playing the best they played all season. Um, yeah. They're shooting the three very well. They have the number one rated defense, according to Ken Baum, and it and it shows. And and we can argue that the offenses are down in the Big 12 this year, and I think they are to an extent, but I also don't think that takes away from how good Kansas' defense is. They're playing their best ball right now. I hope that doesn't mean they peak too soon, but what is your opinion of Kansas at this point? Yeah, I mean, going off of what Andy said, I think as a Vuka, he had a really nice game, and that speaks for itself, but he was really just confident. He was a little chirpy, you know, just pounding his chest. I think you need that if you're Kansas. He's a great player, and I don't even know if he realizes it. Bill Self's just got to continue to – you know, uh, encourage him to play the way he did. You know, as for Kansas, though, you kind of said it there. They're playing their best basketball over the last month, month and a half here in the Big 12. I know Baylor's got an undeniable resume. They are, they were coming into this game the number one ranked team in the country, but I predicted KU to win this game. Um, on my podcast, I said 62 to 57, which is pretty dang close. Um, I was really, con- I was, I was shocked that when West Virginia specifically played Baylor, they didn't really exploit that weakness that Baylor had with, with Sheboy and Culver. And KU did just that. Um, Gillespie, whoever was playing the big man on Azubuke, just couldn't handle him. So Azubuke is the biggest takeaway, you know, for me. I think Baylor's a good – they're a good team. Good teams find ways to win games as well. 
But I think we really saw that this team, and it's Scott Drew. I know Scott Drew's a great guy, no doubt about that. But at the end of the day, it still is Scott Drew, and I wouldn't trust that team to go far at all in March. As for Kansas, though, I would put a lot more money on them going further just because it is Bill Self and it is Kansas. Like Andy talked about as well, shooting the basketball is going to be key. It can happen to you in a good way or a bad way when the other team starts making it and you just can't buy a bucket. But if, if Marcus Kerrigan hits six threes a game, I'd like them to go out and win the, in the netty. Just in a little bit of defense of Scott Drew, because I, I still think he is a very good coach. And I, I actually have talked about this a little bit. I was I was on the radio in Kansas City before this game, kind of actually finding myself defending Scott Drew. And what he has had in the past has been teams that are really, really deep up in the front court and have one or two star guys in the back court. Yeah. And he's taken those into the tournament and done fairly well, but run into teams that have very, very good backcourts that his just can't stand up to. And we have seen the, the NCAA tournament has been become more and more a guard game where if you don't have a good set of guards, you're going to have a hard time going through, especially when you're going up against really good teams. This year, he has the exact opposite. He has two really good guys in the front court and a very deep stable of guys in the backcourt that can really run things. And we're seeing the complete difference this year. Like, it's not that Scott Drew has gotten better at coaching this year. It's that he has personnel now that I think is much better for the style of game that you have to play to be successful at a high level. I agree with that. I mean, he really adjusted to this team. Um, going back to that game versus Kansas, I think he, he did get out coached, you know, just schematically with a game plan. I think Bill Self won it there, but I do agree with you. You know, he did a great job coaching this year's team. Um, I would love for them to go far this year in the tournament, but I just, until I see them actually do it, I'm not buying it. And it's just, you know, they lose to Yale. They lose to all these teams that they're, they're really not supposed to lose to. I agree with you 100%, Andy, but I'm not buying it until I see it. Fair enough. So before we get to the Kansas-Kansas State game, and, the, and we all know that the reason that game is a big deal is not because it's some intriguing matchup. Kansas State <laughs> has got nine wins this season. Before we get to that, I, I do want to talk about one thing, Andy, and I'm, I'm curious your opinion. Based off the last game, the fight that came out of it, um, the harshest penalty of all went to Silvio D'Souza, who has received 12 game suspension. He's been out for some time. And it's hard to argue at this point, based on the evidence of us saying they're playing the best basketball they've played all season. Is Kansas better off without Silvio D'Souza, or is this just a coincidence? I I don't think you can specifically say they're off they're better off without D'Souza, but I do think they are related because what the big difference has been is that Bill Self is no longer trying to play a two guard or a two big lineup, and that was kind of the biggest problem when you had um, you know David McCormick and Yudok Azubuike trying to start and then trying to get minutes for Silvio D'Souza, who you know with everything that he's been through, this was supposed to be his big comeback year, and so while he is available. You, you know, you're trying to kind of help facilitate that. Bill Self has kind of stuck his neck out for him multiple times, talked about how great of a guy he is, and you know, he's a guy you want to succeed. With him not being there, not being available to actually play, there is no temptation anymore to play the two-big lineup. And so David McCormick has become a natural backup to Yudo Kazubuke instead of them trying to mash them in and play them together. So the full embrace of the four-guard lineup is really what the big difference is. And, you know, it, yes, it took that kind of whole thing with McCormick and DeSouza getting um, getting suspended for that to act, for that transition to actually happen. But if DeSouza had only been, you know, um, if he'd only been suspended for four or five games or maybe even six games, like he already would have been out of this lineup and he'd be coming in in spot minutes. Really the main 
advantage to having him back now would be if McCormick and Azabuke get into big foul trouble early in the first half, they can bring in an actual center, an actual big guy to kind of fill those, you know, emergency minutes instead of having to throw in Aruna in there. But I don't think when he comes back, they're going to try to force him back into the lineup. So I don't think you're really going to see much of a difference when he comes back. Okay. So uh, my follow-up question that was going to be, will his ret- do you think his return could have a an impact positively or negatively on this team heading into the NCAA tournament? Or I mean, is there a reason his return might make me go, maybe I should just pencil them for the Elite Eight instead of the Final Four? No, I, I don't think it's going to have that. Like The only difference I actually see it making is that if there is that early foul trouble, you're going to get a guy that's not going to get completely like backed down and, and bullied in, in Aruna. Um, having to play the five, you know, he's clearly not a center, doesn't have the body type for it. Um, and Kansas had real problems when they can't have either Azabuke or McCormick in. Uh, having a guy like DeSouza, he probably still can't hold up as well as those two, but he could do, do a whole lot better than having a guard trying to play a center position. So let's talk about this game on Saturday. Obviously, like I said, this is not a game people care about because this is a matchup of two awesome teams like Baylor, Kansas. This is Kansas versus Kansas State. Kansas State's 9-18 and 18 this year. With a game to go in the midweek. <clears throat> game is in Manhattan. CBS, 1230, which, come on, CBS. Like, I, like I get it, but also, like, come on. It's not ESPN Plus, though. I mean, this game kind of should be, but we can deal with it. <laughs> I, I'm curious from you guys. It's been a while since the fight, though I'm sure it's still on those the players' minds. Um, that said, <laughs> it's still on the coaches' minds. How do you think this game is going to go down? Like, I get the feeling like we're all going to be like, oh, is something going to happen? Is there going to be a tussle? Is there... The feeling from this game is like, I get the feeling they're all going to have been grilled into them so thoroughly for the last week with just cattle prods to don't lose your shit. Don't lose your cool. Get out there, play the game. Let's go home. And don't let any of that ridiculous nonsense happen again because we don't need it. What do you guys expect from this game on Saturday? I, I mean, I think it obviously is going to be an ugly game. Um, no question about that. Like, I'm a lifelong K-State fan. I'm always optimistic about uh, playing Kansas in in Bramlage, but this year I really don't see it happening at all. As for the, the tension, the fight, Antonio Gordon is the one that I'm keeping an eye on. I really am not going to be concerned with McCormick. I think he's going to be totally A-OK. Antonio, he's had a lot of issues. This was not the first incident he has had. Um, talking about that one in Lawrence. There was a couple games. I think it was Marquette. He was a shoving um, one of the Marquette players, and they didn't react. So nothing happened to it, okay? Uh, you look at D'Souza, he's getting shoved. He reacted. So that's why it got so much attention. But I think Antonio Gordon, I wouldn't be shocked if he gets into it. I mean, he's – I don't know how I could put this nicely. I don't think he's that bright of a, a young man so far um, from what I've seen. I think he is going to be someone to keep an eye on. James Love will not be be there as well as DeSouza. So I think this, to answer your question, Antonio Gordon, but as for the game, dude, it's just going to be a beatdown, man. Yeah, I think the word you're looking for to describe Antonio Gordon is hot-blooded. He, he seems to be yeah, looking yeah. for a reason to fight someone, um, yeah. usually within the confines of the game. But, you know, when that started between Love and, and DeSouza, um, you know, he was really just looking for something, and everyone thought it was the end of the game, and so he went for it. Um, you know, I'm not worried about Kansas getting out of hand here because one, you know, number one team in the nation, everything has been going good. And I can guarantee you that Bill Self, after they get past this game against Oklahoma State on Monday, 
they are going to get it drilled into their heads to make sure that you do not react to anything that Kansas State decides to do. Yep. I'm not so sure about Kansas State, though. I mean, it you know it just was this last weekend that we saw, uh, or just this last week that we saw Cartier Giara, you know, getting into it with Bruce Weber and Bruce Weber essentially, you know, shrugging and saying, eh, no big deal. Like the kind yep. of stuff that happened on that court is not the kind of stuff you want to see from a team that you think has it under control, both emotionally and, you know, from a, from a sportsmanship type of issue. And so I, I would hope that Kansas state keeps it under control. I would hope that there's not any big issues, but kind of what we've already talked about with Gordon and just the fact that it seems like Bruce Weber has lost this team, um, you know, from a locker room standpoint, I don't really know what to expect from the Wildcats. K-State's got nothing to lose in this game. So I, I really agree with what you said. I mean, if they want to go out and start a fight, I mean, they have nothing to lose. KU, they're going to be the number one team here coming up. You know, they have something to lose. They can't get involved in anything like that. So I totally agree with you on that. And then going back to Antonio Gordon, he is from Oklahoma, from a small town. And people talk about that a lot here, that he's, you know, not, not only his game and, you know, shove that aside, how he's struggled on the court. He's not used to that competition, but just also, oh, he's never been in the spotlight like this. He wants to make himself noticed. and and getting these stupid fights. So I like the point you, you mentioned there and be, him being from a small town doesn't help. So I, we've, we've kind of made the transition here. It almost feels like to talk about Bruce Weber. Cause I don't, I don't know how much we really need to talk about Kansas state, Kansas. I think Kansas rolls in that game. Like I, I do think it could be close early just because it's a rivalry in state, yada, 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 history, whatever. But I, I feel like Kansas rolls in this one. So let's talk about Bruce Weber and this team. You know, I, I, Ryan, you you've had some comments about Weber on on the ten of twelve Twitter account, and and I would I would like you to to have the opportunity here to to kind of voice your thoughts and, and clear the air about your opinion of the state of Kansas State basketball, and and let's just be honest, whether or not Bruce Weber is the right fit for this team moving forward after this season. I think it's hard to let him go. Um, you win the Big Twelve last year. And obviously this year has been a train wreck, but next year you've got a good recruiting class coming in. So I think it's really hard to let him go. Um, schematically, he's a fine coach. You know, he's, he's won some, some big games. He went to the elite eight, two years ago. He's accomplished, you know, he's won the big 12 twice in what, eight years, nine years being here. So I think he's, he's not going anywhere, but this coach cannot manage a locker room. Um, I know we talked about this Andy a couple months ago about how he doesn't necessarily give a team its own identity and then he like creates it uh, like later on in the season. And he hasn't found it at all yet this season. I mean, it's been a disaster. We all know what's happened with Cartier Jada. He threw a stool on the ground in frustration at his own player. Um, you know, we, I love, I love the fact that Fran Priscilla called out Cartier Jada. I think at the end of the day, it's back on Bruce Weber for not being able to mentor his players. Okay. Xavier Sneed, I've seen him at the rec playing basketball. You are not going to see that in Lubbock. In Lawrence, maybe in, in Ames, Iowa, you know, Steve Pro might let that fly, but you should not be letting that fly if you are a coach in the Big 12. This team just doesn't care, and it's all on Bruce Weber. You go back to Marcus Foster, what a heck of a player he was. So, so much talent, so much potential. Had a great freshman year, and then Bruce Weber let him do whatever he wanted, and he took down everyone on the team and sunk the ship and sunk the program for a couple of years. I mean, we saw it at Illinois. He did great with Bill Self players, and then when they left, they had a couple little seasons where they do good and they do bad again because he can't control his own locker room. I think Bruce Weber, he's, he's not a bad guy or anything like that. He just can't manage a locker room. He gives his players too much freedom. I don't know why that would be. 
if they go out and test the waters, which I don't think Cartier has any future at all in the NBA, but I can see it for Xavier Sneed. But I don't know what happened with Cartier, but it's, it's, it's not good, and it's all back on Bruce Weber. Yeah, I mean, the other thing, you know, this kind of seems to be Bruce Weber's M.O., is that he has very high highs, but then he falls back fairly quickly to extremely low lows. And, yep. like, the the best way to keep your job is to be consistently good, but not necessarily great. Um, Bruce Weber can't seem to do that. You know, he had he had a national championship run with Illinois, and then the team fell off, and finally they, they you know, got fed up with him and fired him. He comes to Kansas State. Yep. He plays, you know, fairly well in that first year. And then he's, you know, I think a lot of people were surprised he was able to get back to where they were um, in these last couple of years. But if you really think about what's going on here, you know, he had a kind of out of nowhere run to the Elite Eight um, because of a whole bunch of yeah. luck in Virginia getting upset by UMBC. <laughs> um, you know, and then in a year where everything falls apart for Kansas, he's able to get up and share the league title with Texas Tech in a year that Texas Tech goes to the national championship game. So, you know, he had two very, I think, you know, lots of luck in those two particular runs in those two seasons that I have made a lot of people think that maybe he has gotten things turned around. But this year, you know, like what we had talked about previously, the fact that he does not make a die identity for his team, that he does not have his own system, that he instills that discipline and instills that identity into the teams that he has. Like, you never know what Bruce Weber is going to try to do. I'm looking back through his coaching Ken Palm page. His teams are all over the place. There's no consistency on defensive style, defensive ranking, offensive style, none of that. It's it's all over the place. And that's, I think, the biggest problem and why he is so inconsistent and why I just I have a hard time thinking that Kansas State can stick with him for too much longer. They probably give him one more year, you, like you said, because of that recruiting class, giving him one more shot to kind of get it turned around. But I, you know, unless they're in the top half of the Big Twelve next year and making a lot of improvement, I, I think it's going to be hard for them to hold on to him for more than next year. You talk about uh, Bill or Bruce Weber getting lucky. He got lucky with Barry Brown because he's a good kid. He wanted to win. He was in the gym twenty four seven. You know, he cared. He gave a crap about Kansas State and wanted to be better and win for the name on the front of the jersey. He got lucky with Barry Brown. You know, Dean Wade's a good kid. You know, Rodney Magruder back in the day, that was still a Frank Martin player. But he gets lucky with some of these guys. But most of these guys are just – they may not be that good of kids, and he can't mentor them. So another point you made there, in the NFL with coaches, they usually don't go for two, even though statistically it is – a you know, you have a better chance of – you know, winning the game, it, it makes sense to go for two, statistically speaking. They don't do it because they don't want to lose their job. They don't want to get fired. They don't want to be in the negative, you know, spotlight in the media or whatever. And Bruce Weber kind of just needs to do that. You don't got to win the Big 12 every year. Just, dude, don't go two and 16 or whatever is going to happen this year. Just try to win some games and, and make it not as bad. Just stop the bleeding. So I, from from all I've kind of gathered is is Bruce Weber knows is, is a – Good coach. I don't think he's a bad coach by any standard, but it it feels like a guy who, and I understand shifting philosophies to fit your team. I think that's important. I think that's what a good coach does. But it almost comes down to, and to steal a word for we use in in college football all the time, it doesn't feel like they this is a program that has a a culture. Like that doesn't feel like there's an established culture. This is who we want to be. And we bring in players to fit that, and we may adjust style to fit our players, but this is the culture that we have here. And it feels like he relies too much on the players to establish the culture each year. And if you have a shifting culture, 
that's very hard to find success in because it depends on a, if it's changing all the time, like if you get somebody in who by sophomore year is a leader on the team and they're kind of setting what the standard is going to be for the next three years, that's great. But if it's changing every single year, that's, that's way too much volatility to expect continuity and, and, and good results. And it's why you look at, you know, yeah, they had a nice 2017, 2018 season. They had a run to the lead eight. That was very surprising last year. I thought the expectations were way too high. Yeah, they did it in the regular season, but then they go and and lose very early in the NCAA tournament with a team that was supposed to be so good. And now we have a, I mean, the bottom has just fell out and it's almost worse looking at, and, and look, Full credit because Chris Beard, there's not a lot of Chris Beards out there. I think Chris Beard is really just one of the best head coaches in college basketball already, and Texas Tech has lucked out with him. But it's hard to, to look at what Beard has done at Texas Tech and losing all his best players like two years in a row and still finding success to see what's happening at Kansas State right now. And it's not just that they have nine wins, and it's not just that they don't look very good. It's that you look at this team and go, I can explain why Oklahoma State's having problems this year. Like it's it's frustrating, but I can explain why they're 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 not their record is poor. I can explain why Texas Tech's season is what it is. And I can pretty much explain why Iowa State is. It's just not a very good roster. And now it's gonna go downhill because Tyrese Halliburton's out. But I look at Kansas State and I and I kind of just go, what is what's what's the what's the reason? I know that they lost a lot of guys from last year, but you like what, where, I don't, that's not a good enough excuse that we lost all these great players. Like you should also have been recruiting guys in to replace them. That's part of the job. And to see a drop off from last year to, I mean, from first place to last place is a drastic drop when there haven't been major injuries for this team. I just, it's such a, I just look at it and go, if we're going to give him credit for one, we've got to give him credit for the other. And the two kind of balance out at a certain point. And if the two, when the two balance out, that's a mediocre program with a mediocre coach. Yeah. The metaphor for what seems to be the quote unquote program or culture for them is it's like if, you know, you go to start a pickup game at a playground, right? And you just look at everyone that shows up and the people you grab for your team are the first five people that you see, not necessarily looking to see what's going to fit you know, trying to find guys that look like they can play together or even, you know, find guys where you know what they're able to do, but just saying, hey, I'll take those five guys and we'll get on the court and we'll start playing and then hope that stuff works and we'll kind of just talk our way through it. Like that seems to be the strategy that they employ. Say they find guys that want to come to K-State, they recruit kind of whoever they can get, and then he throws it all on the court and and hopes that something comes together and that they can, you know, work with it. He's... I'm sure that there's a, a decent amount of scouting that goes into it and there's, you know, some kind of thought process, but there doesn't be, there doesn't look to be a clearly defined goal of this is the type of program that I want to run. These are the values and these are the, you know, these are the, the attributes that I'm looking for from a type of player that's going to do well in my system. And then applying that to players and bringing them in and setting it up that way. There's too much of throw it all at the wall, see what sticks. And then hopefully that will get us to somewhere where we want to be. And it, it just doesn't work. Question, would you either be Kansas State with Bruce Weber or Texas with Shaka Smart? <laughs> oh, gosh, that's a, that's a <laughs> rough one. I, let me put it this way. I think Shaka Smart with Kansas State's roster would do better than Bruce Weber with Texas's roster. And that's saying something because I think Texas's roster is more talented. Okay, that's fun. All right, let's wrap it up from here. Andy, uh, as always, you are great. How can everybody check out your work covering Kansas? Yeah, um, I 
cover Kansas over at Rock Chalk Talk. Uh, during football season, I'm over at the Land Grant Gauntlet helping out over there as well. And then, of course, my podcast is the Rock Chalk Podcast, which you, Philip, are on as well for our Monday episode, getting ready to preview the Kansas-Oklahoma State game that's coming up on, on, on Monday. Very nice. Always a pleasure, Andy. Ryan, always glad to have my evil doppelganger here on the show. For everybody who wants to check out uh, your show and the work you do, where can they do so? The second best podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12, like you said. We're on Twitter, at 10 of 12 podcast. Um, you can find the links to the iTunes and Spotify over there. So on Twitter, at 10 of 12 podcast. You guys are awesome. This is fun, as always. Uh, Andy, we will talk again next week. Ryan, we will talk again soon. And with that said, let's get to our fantastic interview uh, from the Baylor perspective, recapping Saturday's game and looking to the rest of the season ahead. Obviously, that was the game on Saturday that we all hoped it would be. But for Baylor fans, not the outcome they were hoping for. Very excited to have Ashley Hodge of Sikkim365 joining us. Ashley, how are you doing today? Are we are we good? Have you gotten past the loss on Saturday? I have. It, it usually takes me 24 hours to fully uh, process a loss, but I've, I've, I'm, I'm past that 24-hour mark now, so I'm, I'm good to go. That's good. Okay. Um, <laughs> So obviously this is not an outcome you want. Uh, Baylor losing a close game to Kansas, uh, it it puts their opportunity to lock up the Big 12 regular season in kind of dire straits. I, let's be honest, uh, looking forward, I, I don't see a, an obvious spot for either team to lose again. Um, but this was such a great game. So set aside your Baylor fandom for a minute, if you, if you don't mind. And just like, what was your overall thoughts on on the game itself? Well, I, I thought it was a terrific game. I thought both teams played at a very high level. Great defense, as you would expect. And nothing was easy except for Azubuki's dunks, which I think he had <laughs> 10 of them. Uh, that was easy. Uh, but, but other than that, you know, I thought the guards really controlled j- dribble penetration for the most part and, and made things difficult to get open looks. And, you know, there was a lot of big plays, a lot of runs. And, you know, Kansas was able to stave off Baylor's last run, which, you know, they pulled within one and then they had an opportunity to hit a uh, shot that would have put it into overtime. Seemed like Baylor had the momentum there. So if they had put it into overtime at home, I think I would have liked Baylor's chances to to win that game, especially with Azubuki having four fouls. But, but, you know, it wasn't to be. And and credit Kansas, they had a great game plan. I thought Devon Dotson played really well. Uh, he only had 11 points, so it didn't really show up in the in the stat line fully. But him and Garrett and uh, Azubuki were all at the top of their game on both ends of the court, and uh, they were the better team on Saturday. And, and Baylor's got to come up with a game plan to slow Azubuki down. Um, you know, I think it's probably going to entail, you know, just hard fouls at the rim, and and you know, take your chances with a 40% free throw shooter shooting a lot of free throws, but. Uh, that was definitely not what they did on Saturday. And, and, you know, Baylor walked away with a loss as a result. So obviously Baylor came in with a similar defensive game plan as they did in the first meeting, which makes sense. If it did, if it worked the first time, you're going to try and use it again. Kansas, Bill Self did a, I, I want to give them full credit here and say they did a really good job of adjusting. And Azubu, credit to Azabuki who played, if he's playing like that, he's the best big man in the country, and Kansas is going to be a hard team to beat for anybody. I don't, I don't care who you are. Um, but if you were Baylor, uh, if you were you were Coach Drew, um, and, and you could replay this game again, what would you do differently? 
Yeah, I think I think the thing that I would probably do is uh, play Flo, Flo Thamba some minutes, and and you really use those uh, five fouls that Thamba six eleven two sixty could could give you. Uh, you know, I think having him in at some points in the first half and some points in the second half uh, to really stay attached to Azubuki and to send him to the line if if needed. You know, I think that may have made a difference. But ultimately, I really think the game came down to the fact that, you know, Baylor's strengths this year has been that they have four guards who can create their own offense, and three of those guards shot pretty poorly. Uh, Macy Oteague, you would expect because he's coming off of a wrist injury. Uh, he did hit a couple threes. He hit the first three of the game, and he hit the last three of the game. Uh, but other than that, I think he was uh, one for six in between those two shots. And then Devontae Bandu didn't give him anything, only took one shot, and that's one of your better scores coming off the bench. And then, of course, Davion Mitchell just had a pretty poor uh, game offensively. I think he was two for 11, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Um, he he also he played great defense, but uh, really didn't hit his open shots. And so I, I think that was really what it boiled down to for Baylor is, is missed free throws. You know, I think they missed three front end of one-and-ones. And then uh, just the fact that the guards, uh, you know, you have to have two of those guards shooting at a high level. Uh, Butler was, was seven for 18, but, but he was really getting most of the attention from the defense. So uh, one of those other guards really needed to step up and have, have some offensive production. And it just wasn't to be in that game. Yeah, Bears went 8 of 15 from the free throw line, obviously. Missing the front end on a couple of one-on-ones shows some free throws that they didn't even get to shoot that are, are missed opportunities. And... You know, if 53% is not great from the free throw line. That's something that you really don't want to see in a game like this because that's that's in a three-point game, that's that can be the difference. Um, and, and those are those little things that they're really going to have to work on. So looking at the offense, you know, this is an offense you go and look at Ken Palm and obviously Baylor, Ken Palm, Baylor's number two, Kansas number one. I don't, I don't think this loss really hurts Baylor. This loss does not hurt Baylor's resume in any way, shape, or form, let's just be honest. And especially since what happened after the game, right? Oh, yeah. And Gonzaga losing. That, you know, Baylor's probably still in the driver's seat to get a one seed, as is Kansas. I think Kansas probably has a one seed locked up. But uh, both those teams have have the best resumes overall in college basketball right now. I mean, to me, the battle for the number one overall seed is still between these two teams. I mean, you could could make a case for Gonzaga if uh, if some crazy things happen. Um, But to me... If, if Kansas and Baylor went out in the regular season and then meet in the Big 12 championship title game, um, I think that game might kind of, in, in most people's eyes, heading into it, be for the number one overall seed. I mean, Gonzaga has a shot. Um, I think San Diego State has, still has a shot at a one. I don't think they have a shot at the number one overall, but I think they're still going to have to stave off like uh, uh, Duke and, and Dayton for that as well. So obviously there's a lot still on the line for Baylor, but I, I want to talk about the offense. You mentioned they've... They, had the three guards, and obviously there are some struggles there. But this is a team that, of all of the top teams, they have what I would argue is one of the the worst offenses. And I don't want to say they have a bad offense. According to Kim Palm, it's the, it's the number 23 overall adjusted offense. And that's not a bad offense. But is that something, if you would say between the offense and defense, the offense feels like the bigger concern that the defense is. And, and I'm curious from your perspective, you know, you, you saw this game to on Saturday and, and the guards who struggled and generally one of those guards steps up, but, and I don't want to read too much into one game, 
But is this something that you look at and say, this is the con- this is the big concern heading into the NCAA tournament? Is this the thing that that could that would ultimately derail an actual shot at a national championship? Yeah, I, I think that is a very fair analysis, and you know, and, and I certainly want to give credit to Kansas, the number one defense in the country, had a lot to do with why you know Baylor's uh, offense was didn't look as pretty yesterday. But um, I, I will say overall that I think this comparison's been made a few times, and I think it's probably a decent comparison that you know Baylor perhaps reminds people of not last year's Virginia team but the Virginia team of the previous year that was a number one seed, but, but clearly, you know, much better on defense than they were on offense. And, you know, then we saw, I don't expect Baylor to get bounced in, in the first round of the tournament by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, you know, I think they are, are a team that should, should expect to go to the sweet 16 or the elite eight as kind of a floor uh, based on, you know, how good they are. But I, I do think it's a concern as they hit higher level competition that, you know, you need uh, some offensive um, production that, that's just not there consistently. Now, I, I will say, you know, there's been a few reasons for that. Um, Macy Atik hurting his wrist, uh, you know, the, that his, they, they seem to be kind of finding their groove. Uh, when he's on his, the top of his game and Butler's on the top of his game, I think they have potential to be a top 15, top 10 offense. And I also think that Matt Meyer could be a big key to that uh, because Meyer's, you know, really starting to turn the corner and give him some, some production off the bench. And, and he's a guy that really has that potential to be a matchup nightmare. Cause he's six, nine, he can hit three pointers. He can also take people off the dribble. Uh, so I, I, in my opinion, he and perhaps even Tristan Clark, if Tristan Clark were to round into uh, form, I think he took a little step back yesterday, but he had played two really good games before that. Uh, then then I, I think you could see a, a higher ceiling for Baylor's offense. But, but right now, I, I think that's definitely a concern as to whether they can get to a Final Four and win a national championship. Looking at the road ahead, because, I, again, regular season doesn't have a lot left. Uh, everyone's got four games. Uh, for Baylor, you've got home game against Kansas and Texas Tech, uh, and road games on the weekends at TCU and West Virginia. Looking at that schedule, Kansas State, Kansas. You say Kansas, but Kansas. State. Sorry, yeah, home games against Kansas State and Texas Tech, and then weekend road games at TCU and West Virginia. Forgive me. Um, a big difference between Kansas and Kansas State this year. Um, that and looking at the Big Twelve tournament, and obviously we don't know the matchups yet. How? How confident are you? Because I, I feel pretty good that, and I know the Big 12 championship is always wacky as all get out. And we don't see one versus two much. And I I did the research last year. I'd have to go back and look. I don't remember the last time we saw one versus two, but I'm pretty sure it's been a while and it's been very rare. But looking at the schedule and, and the way the season has gone, how confident are you that the big that Baylor is going to face Kansas again in the Big 12 championship title game? Um. I wouldn't say extremely confident that that would be what uh, I think a lot of the college basketball fans will, will hope happens. Cause, cause you know, two teams that have proven to be the most consistent in the big 12 this year. And, 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 you know, an argu- certainly an argument can be made that they're the only two elite teams. I think, I think Texas tech is uh, you know, should be in that conversation as well. You know, but I, but I think if, if, 
I mean, we're certainly, at, you know, Baylor and Kansas are going to be the one and two seed. Uh, I think they've already locked that up. You know, they're going to be the one and two seeds for that, for the NCAA turn or for the uh, big 12 tournament. Uh, so it would come down to whether a Texas tech or an Oklahoma state or West Virginia can knock one of those teams off. You know, you look at the road ahead and, you know, Baylor is expected to win, uh, you know, by a, a decent margin, the next three games, Kansas state at TCU, and then certainly Texas tech's never an easy out. Uh, and even in Waco, but uh, the West Virginia game is, it's always a difficult place to go to. And uh, that's one that, you know, it looks to be the most difficult one left on Baylor's schedule. And, and I think Baylor, I mean, I think Kansas uh, has two that, you know, could, could trip them up. I, I think Oklahoma state's playing pretty well right now. And, you know, barring the a terrible second half against West Virginia, they've been putting together some, some really good basketball lately and uh, they, they may give Kansas more of a challenge than you would think, especially coming off a big emotional win. And then the other one is uh, they got to go to Lubbock uh, the last game of the season. Uh, so that, you know, that last weekend of the season may really determine who those number one and two seeds are, uh, you know, and whether either Baylor or Kansas gets a slip up before the end of the season. Because it may take 17-1 and one to win this conference this year, which is, which is just nuts to think about that. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's absolutely wild. So just looking at the schedules, as you mentioned Kansas' games, and, and we've talked about Baylor's. Looking at the last four games for both teams, it, to me it feels like both are going to win out. I don't I don't see one that just screams, that's the one. Like I could I could make a case for both for their season finales. Kansas at Texas Tech on on March seventh, and Baylor at West Virginia on March seventh seem like the biggest possibilities for hiccup. I don't think they run into one, but if you had to say one of these two teams is going to have a hiccup and someone else is going to win outright, who do you think has the more likely loss on their remaining schedule? Well, I mean, if you go by Ken Palm, it would be the Baylor at West Virginia would be the, the game that Ken Palm says is, is most likely to be a loss. I, I really think just based on the way teams are playing right now, I would say that Kansas at Texas Tech is the most difficult game in my mind. Uh, the computers don't say that, but I think I went to that uh, arena to watch Baylor play Texas Tech early in the season, and that is a really, really tough place to get a win. I mean, those fans are loud. The beer's flowing. It's a Saturday game. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a hostile environment just like Waco was yesterday. Uh, but that's that's going to be one that uh, Kansas has to bring their A game, or or they can walk away with a loss. But uh, but the thing about Texas Tech is they just they just don't have a very good inside game. So I just don't know how effective they'll be uh, trying to you know match up against Azubuki. Now they did a pretty good job with them in in, in Lawrence, and, and Tech only lost by three. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind. But um, ultimately, I just I, I wonder how they're going to be able to defend him. Uh, knowing that you know Baylor's inside game is better than Texas Tech, and and they certainly had all kinds of problems with them yesterday. Ashley, you have been fantastic. Really enjoyed having you on the show for your very first time, and I'll just say this now: we're going to have you on again because I've enjoyed this. Uh, for everybody who wants to check out the work you do covering the Baylor Bears, where can they do so? Sikkim365.com is our website. We have uh, free message boards, and we also have premium subscription service as well and uh, we, we do a lot of podcasts that uh, cover Baylor and you know typical Homer stuff you know where we slant it all towards uh, green and gold <laughs> but, uh, but we try to be we try to be um, what's the word objectively biased 
you know, we're, we're always going to have a Baylor bias, but we, we, we definitely uh, have guys on our forum. Jason King is, is a national sports writer that's contributing a lot for our, our forum right now. So we have a lot of really good basketball content. Awesome. All right. Again, Ashley, appreciate you coming on. Uh, look forward to doing this again. And sir, uh, look forward to, uh, to the rest of the regular season. Thanks, Phil. Appreciate you having me on. Podcast Network.